This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A missing person creates an impossible vacuum in the lives of the people around them. An endless series of could-haves, should-haves, and what-ifs, leaving their friends and families robbed of years of potential love and companionship. Every significant gathering, from birthdays to weddings, regardless of how joyous the occasion, will always be marked by that lingering feeling that there's someone absent, a chair forever unfilled. The disappearance of a sibling at a young age forms a particularly painful void. Losing someone so young can leave their loved ones feeling like they barely got a chance to know the person before they were taken from them without warning. How does one properly express their grief for someone who was just starting the journey down the road to the person they would eventually become? This has been my life. I was only two when Sandy went missing. So I have got no living memory of Sandy at all. Uh, I just need to make my own memories of them. Pictures, that's the only memories I've got. I need to imagine a picture to imagine what it looks like. How can I not remember them? How can I not just get one memory? For Donna Davidson, these are murky waters she's been navigating for more than 45 years since the disappearance of her older brother Sandy in 1976. He was just a few weeks shy of his fourth birthday, 
His disappearance is one of Scotland's oldest unsolved missing child cases. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series produced by What's the Story Sounds, and brought to you with help from the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Sandy Davidson. understand the circumstances of this case, we need to go back, way back to the 1970s, and to a young travelling family setting up home in Scotland. Donna Davidson and her brother Sandy were just two and three years old. Sandy was named after the footballer, William Sandy Puller-Jardine. Together with mum Margaret and dad Philip, they spent much of their formative years in caravans, moving from place to place wherever they wished. I had a great childhood, even though everything that happened. I had a great childhood, as I said, we grew up with travellers, so we were always away in caravans and the whole family would be there and loads of cousins and we were a big, big family. In 1976, the family moved into a newly built home on St Kilda's Bank in the Bawtree Hill housing estate in Irvine, Ayrshire. Many of the homes were still being finished off around them as they moved in. Butchery Hill was, it was just a new house in the state. People class it as a, as a Glasgow overspill, so they were just building all these new houses. Donna was only two, so it's little surprise that she doesn't have many vivid memories of the Bawtree Hill estate from her childhood. It was a big estate, a new school was being built to accommodate all the children who would soon be arriving. But the memories she has are of family visits, happy times, and being together. I can remember Butcher Hill and I can remember it looking really big. I can remember being outside and running to the road because my cousins were coming from Falkirk that day and waiting at the end, but it was only it's only a couple of seconds, it wasn't far. And I remember my auntie and uncle's wedding. I can, I mean, I see the pictures, I can still visualise that day. But apart from that, I had no other memories of Butcher Hill. The 23rd of April 1976 began like any other day. It was a sunny spring day. It was a Friday morning and it was just after 10 in the morning. It was a nice day. If back in 1976 was one of the warmest summers, warmest years, so it was warm. It was nice weather. Donna's parents brought her and Sandy from their home at 41 St Kilda's Bank into their grandparents' house just three doors away. They would look after the children while Margaret and Philip went to work. My mum was a machinist and my dad was a labourer on the building site. Shortly after 10am, Sandy and Donna were playing in the back garden, whilst their grandmother, Mary Bunce, and her husband, who Donna referred to affectionately as Di, an old Fife Scottish term for grandfather, were nearby but out of sight in the house. What happened next is difficult to confirm, given that the closest eyewitness was Donna, 
But we know that the Davidson's family dog, an Afghan hound named Kissy, was playing in the back garden with the children. Sandy came into the house at roughly 10.25 and told his grandmother that the dog had run off. She told him not to chase it, and Sandy went back outside. A few minutes later, young Donna called into her grandmother and said that Sandy was away. Kissy had supposedly run off through the garden gate, and Sandy and Donna had taken off in pursuit of the dog into the street behind the house. Moments later, Donna returned, but Sandy and the dog were nowhere to be seen. The gate got opened, the twos went out the garden, then I returned back to the house to see that Sandy was away. Donna's grandparents wasted no time in hunting for Sandy. They did a quick search of the surrounding area and the nearby River Annick, one mile away at the bottom of the estate, certain that Sandy had simply wandered off. He'd been known to explore a bit too vigorously before, which had gotten him into trouble in the past. But panic started to set in when no sign of Sandy was found. And when the search party returned to the house, waiting for them on the doorstep, was the dog, Kissy, but no Sandy. Well, I think straight away, the police get called and my day went straight to and picked my mum and dad up for work. I think they got a, my mum got a phone call telling her he was coming, to, her dad was coming to pick her up. What I've heard is he picked her up and told her Sandy's went missing, but it's okay, we've called the police. The call about Sandy's disappearance went out to the local Irvine police station. A report was filed with an inspector, Reed and a Sergeant Ross, who took the child's description and commenced a search of the area. Sandy was very distinctive looking, with blonde hair and piercing blue eyes. Sandy's father nicknamed him Sheepskin after the mass of curls on his head, which looked like a sheepskin rug. Sandy was an inquisitive child, and he's got in trouble in the past for exploring too far. Sandy had been wearing a purple three-button jumper with the words small men written down the side in tiny lettering. His trousers were mauve and his shoes were blue and white and bore the initials GB. The two officers completed their search, but it was an area far too large for them to cover properly, so they called in reinforcements. By now, word of Sandy's disappearance had spread across the estate. Sniffer dogs were deployed, much of the building work in the area came to a standstill, as many of the labourers downed tools and joined the police and volunteers in the search for Sandy. There was a big, big search. There was loads of people, hundreds of people were coming in. There were hundreds, so there were. I think there was like 500 people out searching at a time. It was, well, it was a big, big mass of search. One of the first thoughts was that perhaps Sandy had tripped or fallen into one of the construction sites. There were holes in the ground for foundations and pipework, and no shortage of hazards for a four-year-old boy to navigate. So surely Sandy would be found before long, perhaps injured but most likely alive in one of the nearby building sites. You can imagine the panic sweeping through the family and the community, as with every passing minute there's no news. Sandy had to be somewhere, but where? The River Annick, where Sandy's grandparents had started their search, was cordoned off. 
police divers were deployed and carried out a thorough search of the river, but turned up nothing. Over the course of the afternoon and evening, the police established a base in one of the estate's empty houses, a stone's throw from Sandy's front door. Tea and other supplies were doled out to volunteers as they searched into the night, but as darkness fell, the efforts were suspended until the following day. At first light, it started again. Posters were deployed in all the places you'd expect, adorning every available street lamp and shop window in the vicinity. A disused brickworks in the nearby town of Dreghorn was searched by volunteers after someone reported hearing a child scream there on the morning in question. Search teams found themselves on their hands and knees searching through dark passages and tunnels. Helicopters even deployed to fly over the housing estate and the surrounding area. This was already the largest search and rescue operation Scotland had ever seen. But what if Sandy hadn't been the victim of an accident? What if something else had happened? Something far more sinister? Whilst the search efforts and police investigation zeroed in on the idea that Sandy had wandered off and gotten lost in the surrounding area, there was another element to the case which suggests Sandy's disappearance could be less accidental and far more nefarious in nature. A labourer in his mid-twenties was working in an upstairs bedroom in one of the unfinished houses just beyond the lane near Sandy's grandmother's home on the morning of his disappearance, the window of which had a clear view of the back gate of the garden the children were playing in. So as we've, we've wandered out to the front, just, just metres, we've not went far, we've actually just went out. There's been dumper trucks, there's been digging going on, but just past that wee lane, the very first house was getting work done and it was a Friday morning and a witness, he was in the upstairs bedroom and he was putting on skirting boards and back then he said it was job and knock on a Friday. You finished your work early, you get finished early and get paid for the full day. So he said it was back at 10 in the morning, he said I stood up to stretch my back he says, and I seen you's outside and Sandy was going away holding a gentleman's hand going into a blue car and I went back into the garden. But he said there was, he didn't think anything of it, he didn't look anything wrong. A blue car, a claim of Sandy climbing inside it. Was there any truth to the story? Had Sandy really been taken just yards from his home? The man in question was said to be in his late 40s and wasn't thought to be anyone close to the family. So who were they? Whilst Donna thinks this account was given to the police, they continued with the same line of investigation. I know they never put roadblocks up because I think that was one of the things, like the eyewitness, I think they... They never took that into consideration when I think they should have. I think they were just concentrating on that area. But if he's been taken in a car, he's been taken away. The idea that there may have been a stranger present made some of the puzzle pieces of that morning fall more clearly into place. Donna's grandmother said that the back gate of the garden would have been latched and that the two children would have been unable to reach the lock. 
As such, the idea that a stranger had opened the gate, causing the dog to run from the garden and Sandy to chase after it, was plausible. For some reason, the gate got opened. I personally think somebody's opened the gate. Whilst Donna's mother held on to the belief that Sandy was alive, by virtue of the fact that no body had been found, Donna became increasingly certain that her brother had been taken and likely murdered by the man the labourer claimed he saw taking Sandy by the hand and leading to his car. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. I'm 99 because I've always got that glimmer of hope. 99% sure it was, uh, it was taken away and it wasn't for, I, I think it's been pedophiles, yes. I think he's been, I, I don't even want to think because I've been down that road many a time and it's no a nice thought. But I think they've done what they've done and then I think he's been murdered. So I do. So if Sandy was indeed abducted, Donna would have been very close by. She often wonders to herself why both of them didn't vanish that day 
and ultimately chalks it up to Sandy's more outgoing personality, making him a more vulnerable target. I think he was very mischievous. I think he, I think he was a character and I wasn't shy. I think he was quite... I think he would have went with him to hence what happened. Whereas I was more... I was All I did was cry and obviously I've come back because I didn't want to go um, that day. Because I do believe as well he would have took the twos. Sandy's parents didn't want to continue living in the estate where Sandy had vanished from. So they relocated to the coastal town of Saltcoats in North Ayrshire, a 15-minute drive away. We left the house because what happens, my mum just couldn't be there. Sandy's disappearance had a complex impact on the Davidson family unit. Whilst Donna says she had a happy childhood with supportive parents, Sandy was never a topic of discussion. Pictures of him were not kept in the house. He became a taboo subject. Donna doesn't remember ever being formally spoken to about Sandy's disappearance. In fact, she thinks the trauma related to the loss of her brother has caused her to forget much of her early years. No, I can't remember MD ever t- sitting me down and telling me about it. I just think it's always something I've known. My mum said they did tell me, but I can't remember them ever telling me. I remember once getting upset, I think I was about eight or nine, and going downstairs and saying I can't stop thinking about Sandy, and I get told to be quiet and go back to my bed, and I'm thinking, obviously that was there by you dealing with things back then, but I've just built up all this inside and it's been torturing me for all these years. Despite their efforts to stop their daughter from dwelling on the disappearance of her brother, the memory of Sandy would often enter Donna's life in unexpected ways. I can remember going out one night with friends and going to the chip shop and at the time you get your chips wrapped up in a bit of paper and it was Sandy's story. The family continued on with their lives as best they could. Donna left school at 16 in 1989 and earned a living as a hairdresser for a time before eventually finding work in a bar. She got married and had two children of her own, Declan and Georgia. Whilst her marriage to their father didn't work out, They remain on good terms and still see each other. Donna remarried and had a third child, Brendan. They eventually separated and Donna currently lives with her partner, David, in a house near the home her parents shared in Saltcoats. She now has four grandchildren. But after growing up in a house with no photos of her brother, Donna eventually found herself confronted with an image of Sandy that she couldn't escape. As her youngest son, Brendan, grew up, she saw a very familiar face looking back at her. Brendan, he got to the age Sandy was and he was his spitting image. The hair, the curls, everything. That's when I decided I wanted the case back up and running. Not that it's ever been closed, but it's not, it's not very active. But I didn't know how to approach my mum because we weren't, nobody spoke about it when I was growing up because it was... It hurt my mum and dad too much, especially my mum. So it was a taboo, nobody spoke about him. And then Brendan got to that age and it was, you couldn't deny it. And my mum phoned me one day and she was like, 
that's it. You'll need to get his hair cut. And I was like, no. Why? And she, because that's just my Sandy. Donna has long struggled with feelings of survivor's guilt, compounded by the fact that she has next to no memories of the brother she lost. Because I find it quite comforting, because now I'm thinking, maybe I can get some of my memories, some memories back. I can make, but then I'm looking at my son and I'm trying to make memories. I need to do something. I need to do it for myself. I felt as if I had to do it, because I felt, I felt guilty. I felt every emotion I felt should have been me. I've hoped, wished it was me. At times, I really have, because it's so hard. It's so hard growing, living every single day, missing somebody that I don't even know, that I don't even have a memory of. Nothing. She imagines the roles being reversed, thinking about what would have happened if she had been the one to vanish that day, with Sandy left wondering, for the rest of his life, what had become of his sibling. It was something I always wanted to do, but didn't know how to approach the subject. Because I always felt guilty, and always also felt, well, if it was me, it disappeared that day. I would like to think he would have searched for me. Uh -huh. I'd have liked to have thought somebody would have tried to have found me. Seeing his image and the face of her son, spurred her onto action, and she started campaigning to reignite interest in the search for Sandy. Donna spoke to newspapers, made appeals to politicians, and even took part alongside her mother in a documentary made by Lorraine Kelly about the UK's missing children in 2009. Whilst the programme didn't result in any direct leads regarding Sandy's whereabouts, Donna's constant campaigning, particularly around the time of significant milestones since her brother's disappearance, did lead to the occasional piece of new information. In 2015, a man approached the Davidson family, who had lived on Giga Terrace in the Broomlands estate, only a few streets away from where Sandy had disappeared from on St Kilda Bank. This man, who would have been roughly the same age as Sandy in 1976, told the Davidsons about a horrific incident in which he was abducted and violently abused by a teenage girl from the same neighbourhood. He was dragged into a bush and beaten with a rock. He estimates this likely happening the summer after Sandy had gone missing, and he wondered if the two events were connected. Police ultimately treated the incident as unrelated to Sandy's disappearance. Whilst this case, at least on the face of it, had a potentially credible link to Sandy's disappearance, Donna has found over the years that people have gotten in touch with her with outlandish claims about Sandy. The amount of loonies, that's what I'm going to call them, absolute loonies that have contacted me and told me Sandy's buried in my back garden or Sandy, I've seen Sandy when he got taken away. I was in the car at the time. Honest to God, I've had somebody actually move to Glasgow from the Czech Republic, because he was that convinced he was Sandy. So he moved all the way here to get his DNA done. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the Czech man who made the 1300 mile journey to Scotland 
did not turn out to be Sandy. Donna never quite believed he would be, but every time she found herself presented with a potential answer to this mystery, even if she was 99% certain it would go nowhere, she'd find herself clinging to that 1% chance that this might finally be the time she gets a breakthrough. In 2014, Brumland's primary school, the school that was being built just a few hundred metres from Sandy's grandparents' house on the day he vanished, was demolished. The school was being levelled to make room for a car park for a newly built school. Donna appealed to the local council to ask the construction company involved to excavate the site in order to confirm once and for all whether Sandy's body was there. But despite a petition that garnered thousands of signatures within mere days, their request was denied. Donna's campaigning also had the unintended but welcome effect of bringing her closer together with her mother and father, who had separated in 2004. We've got a strange relationship, really close, but it's strained when it comes to the Sandy because I speak about him openly, but my mum can't. My dad, he can when it's the anniversary and then when it's the birthday. None of us will contact each other. My dad will go away himself and go for a few pints and my mum will sit herself. None of us actually contact each other because we can't, we don't like showing with emotions in front of each other. Her parents were initially unsure of what to make of Donna's decision to draw fresh eyes to Sandy's case. But the more she did it, the more they opened up. They're okay with me doing it, but they couldn't do it. They were happy for me to do it, but they couldn't do it. But in saying that, if I've started doing it, my mum has started speaking about them a lot more. Even Donna's father, Philip, who has never spoken about the case in the media, broke his silence in 2016, 40 years later, in an interview where he likened Sandy's disappearance to an alien abduction, as if a spaceship had come down and taken him away, that he still thinks about him every day. The weight of trauma associated with Sandy's loss and the effort it has required to keep his name in the media has taken its toll on Donna over the years. The past few years I've took my health, my health has took a dip. I get diagnosed with fibromyalgia, but my legs have got real bad arthritis and I can barely walk. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm grieving. I don't know if I'm angry. I don't know. Some days I think I'm going off my head. My head, my head just doesn't stop. It's like I feel as if I'm on a roundabout and I can't get off it. That's the way I feel. I'm stuck. I wish somebody could, I could swap heads with somebody just for an hour, just to see what normal life would be like. The more time goes on, the more Donna finds herself desperate for resolution to a question that has plagued her for her entire life. The idea of never finding out what happened to Sandy feels unacceptable to her. As a child, obviously I didn't think about it as much, but it's played in my mind the older I get and the older I'm getting. It's playing in my mind even more because I'm thinking, well, I know I've got a good few years left, but my mum and dad will say, I just, we just want to find out before, before anything happens to them. And now I'm thinking, that's, I just want to find out before anything ever happens to me. And 
there's somebody out there that knows, and I think there's more than one people person that knows. Somebody needs to come forward and tell us and put us, let us, put us out of misery a wee bit. Somebody knows what happened to Sandy that day. So please, if you hear this, please contact the police, contact MDGs, please contact somebody and tell them. In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Sandy, or you remember seeing someone like him on the 23rd of April 1976, your information could be vital. Even if you've never heard of Sandy Davidson before listening to this episode, you could still help. Visit our website, themissingpodcast.org, where you'll find more information on this and every other case we featured in the series. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.